Welcome to the Maintainable Software Podcast, where we explore the art of improving existing software with seasoned practitioners who have helped organizations work past the problems often associated with technical debt and legacy code. I'm your host, Robbie Russell. On this episode, Ben Halpern joins us, who is the creator of Dev.2 and a co-founder of Form, the platform that Dev.2 is based on. Ben joins us today from New York. Ben Halpern, we're so glad to have you join us on Maintainable. Welcome. Great to be here. So as you reflect on your time in the industry, what do you believe are a few characteristics of, dare I say, well-maintained software? I think well-maintained software needs to have, you know, clear purpose and context that's available, you know, as you're reading it and within the docs as needed. But the purpose should be, you know, appropriately flexible enough to understand that, you know, things are going to ebb and flow and that it might not be, you know, ideally living up to its purpose. But if it's not, you know, that that's communicated either, you know, through code or documentation and, I think that ultimately, you know, if the software is is doing what it's supposed to do, it's uh, it's doing its job. But I think if it's communicating its, you know, reason to be and, and you know where it, its reason might change, you know, that's uh, I think part of the journey. Where do you find that balance of making it flexible for the unknown future? Like, how would you kind of like define where you would draw that line in the sand? Because I can imagine that being different between developer to developer. Yeah, I think ideally the organization provides enough context to allow you to draw that line in a way that, you know, maps up to what's ultimately needed. And, you know, organization or project or whatever the context of the software is, you know, hopefully you're not working off like strictly your own tastes because contextually, you know, the developer's interests are important and it's important that people, you know, take their own pride into their work. But the collaboration between the different stakeholders and anyone who can provide enough context to say that, like, we are a software company and we need our software to be really flexible and reusable, or we're a furniture company and we need our software to, you know, sell furniture. And you're probably better off not abstracting, you know, the chair method, you know, because all we do is chairs, you know, like... That's that's simple enough and maybe intuitive, but I, I think it, you know it gets lost along the way. So appropriately, like yeah, if I'm a software developer, I like writing abstractions a certain way. I, I want to know whether I'm you know working in a situation where the chair matters or like if the abstraction itself matters. You might have chairs, sofas, whatever, and you might be like, oh, I can just go down this path of like we we sell items. I don't know, right? Or whatever. You, what would be a generic version of like a chair, like? Something prematurely abstract that. Yeah, I mean, a lot of the time it is item, you know, like, but I, I mean, I've been in situations where I've, you know, I've started a lot of projects. So I'm like usually the one at fault for having, you know, put it in the, having sort of put it down the wrong path. But I've been in situations where, you know, like I've done the thing where everything was a little too abstract and there wasn't enough business logic, like really enforced within the code. And then the next thing, you know, I took on, I wound up being like, all right, not going to make that mistake again, going to really write some stuff that is not designed to ever be like extracted or added on to like, this is strictly like for this purpose. And then I find myself like, oh crap, like I I really should have made this more generic in the first place. And uh, it's a dance that 
I find myself, you know, like making it better the next time, you know, but like in a way where I, I kind of feel like the issue is that like, I'm probably mostly taking into account problems I just had <laughs> and solving for those. And then, you know, it's uh, inherently tough to get it right. It's true. The, uh, there's that kind of like maybe a little bit of overcorrecting each time. If, you, if you're in that scenario where you're starting, especially if you're spinning up new projects and you're like, okay, what did I learn from the last time? Start trying this different approach. May go down one path. You're like, oh, I went too far this time. Next time I won't go that far. And then trying to find that, is it ever just right? Yeah. And the thing about software is it's like done intentionally by people, but then like very quickly taken on by like the the group where, you know, you're, you've got a lot of different people with different motivations and interests and like why they're even writing code in this code base in the first place. Sometimes an initial choice, which was totally unintentional, just becomes the pattern, you know, like this is what I did without thinking about it because it didn't seem important at the time, but now it's just a pattern for the whole code base because it, that's just how things worked out. And it's like, uh, so, you know, hopefully you're intentional enough and you've seen things enough to kind of know that if you don't get this right, people are going to take it and run with it. But um, there's going to be a more complex version of that at, around every corner, the, the, the one that you don't have prior experience uh, avoiding. You know, you mentioned like, when it comes to like naming things, have you found that there's like a good balance also with in terms of whether or not you need a glossary to explain what certain things are in your software application where you're like, all right, so this means this in the code base and we've got a whole glossary over here to that represents the business. You know, I'm air quoting the business, but uh, the other stakeholders, how they might refer to things and trying to connect the dots as the developer. Have you seen any kind of patterns emerge from that? I really feel like the best case scenario is always when the code really expresses the name of things, but that that's pretty wishful thinking. So if that's not achievable, I, I do think the, the glossary is, is kind of fundamentally important because usually you get it right for a lot of stuff and then it's wrong for others. Like if something is 90% right, so you don't need a glossary because there's only a few edge cases those edge cases will like keep biting you. Like even if they're only edge cases within like the naming convention of the code and not the actual functionality, they become things you just like keep having to correct over and over again in your dialogue. And you can't even have as functional conversations because um, you know, you named one thing, you know, something and another thing, another thing. And and I'm saying like, you know, what my ideal is, but I, I think like um in our organization, like you know, I'm no longer strictly much of a decision maker in some of these anyway. So like if I truly, really deeply cared about something, I'd uh, weigh in. But like this, is a, the, but there's a few smells that I see in the code um, that I'm just like not day to day involved in our software development just because I have like a different role within our organization. So like some of the things I see as smells like I, I they like cringe at me, but like, you know, I'm not like a strong opinion on whether we fix them, you know, like we'll work it out, you know, but something I'm thinking about is um, we call things posts on dev and forum and the whole thing, uh, because that seems like the appropriate thing to call it. Like Instagram calls their content a post typically, and like a tweet is kind of a post and, and, but in the code base, it's called an article because that's sort of the, what, it was originally called and the original idea of this website was going to be much more focused on 
what I would think of as maybe an article in air quotes versus a blog post or even just a post. But um, over time, like functionally, all the same elements still apply to each one. But like we've navigated towards really wanting to call it a post because we think that's more reusable and we've made our platform, which we can get into if we want, like, you know, more generic and reusable. And so post just seems like the perfect word for what that thing is. But in the code, it's still an article. And for a while, it was still also an article in the UI, in the user interface sometimes, just because we had, a, you know, trouble, like, nailing down the glossary part, you know, of things and or just, like, committing to, you know, some of these decisions. And it's still called an article in the code base. And I, I think, like, this is something I sort of feel like I would love if we took on the project of trying somehow, even if the database is still, the table can still be articles, but you know, I think it would be worthwhile to ultimately get some of this cleaned up in the code base because uh, it's possible, it's just not like really a problem yet. So it becomes this like non-urgent thing. I, I think uh, there's an ideal case and I do think it can be a bigger deal than uh, people want it to be. I can appreciate that. The uh, there is usually tends to be a few things in every application that I deal with. Usually, that feels like it might have been named one thing because that's how people were referring it then. But nobody, but people don't refer to that that way anymore. Like I'm like we have a project similar in the sense that it's like a CMS type platform for one of our clients, and they always talk about their stories. They publish stories. That's not what the database called. I think it actually is, is using posts, and we're like, but that's not what the client ever is going to call it. And they're like, oh, we have to add a new post, but like, so we've had to like modify a bunch of things in our application to call it a story without actually having underneath the hood like renamed it, and it does cause confusion and on a regular basis. So, fill you there on that very very specific example there. It's kind of very similar. No, I mean we also use the term story in certain contexts where it could be posts, but we use it because technically this like area displays different types of content so story is uh, like even further generic than post in a, in, in a lot of ways and just like just because of the conventions of rails like there's like it's logical to maybe call it a story you know like you know to try to get things right but it, it never it actually doesn't really trip people up people I, I think sort of get it but it it's not like the cleanest uh way of organizing things it just doesn't cause enough pain to be to be worth redoing and there's I don't know, enough built-in knowledge that that's where the thing is that makes sense so let's uh we'll come back to you talk about dev and form in just a bit a couple of other things i'm curious about do you use the metaphor technical debt often in your day-to-day -day work or your, does your team talk about it uh, i think it like could be and I, I think most people think about it in in some term but um like it's not a keyword in, in the discussions I've tr traditionally been a part of. Um, these days, we have a, a new head of engineering, Allison McMillan, on the team, and um, you know whether we use technical debt as a as a thing to talk about is like not something I would have a strong opinion on. So like if people have started using that as, as like a, a a phrase, like uh, you know in conversations I'm not a part of, I uh, I wouldn't even know you know necessarily. For, you know, for whatever reason, like it's always been a, the, the trade-offs and, and these things have always been, you know, like critical to the work, we, you know, we do, but I don't know, for whatever reason, the, uh, the phrase technical debt doesn't get 
as much attention uh, like in my journey uh, through, you know, the, the forum process, I think because, um, I don't know, the, the project was like born out of technical debt in a lot of ways because, I, you know, I, I was working on it like solo for so much time that it was almost like uh, in deep technical debt in some ways, but in like, you know, somewhat like manageably overseen in a lot of other ways. Like, I just don't think, you know, I mean, maybe this is somewhat common in, in certain circumstances, but like um, we've like kind of like shifted this code base so many times that certain behaviors like they, they're clearly technical debt, but they've like part of the, <laughs> the journey in, in some ways. We extracted forum out of dev, which has been tremendous for shoring up certain parts of technical debt and also like exposing others almost like the capacity to fix technical debt was so much baked into the decision to make it open source and make it reusable it just you know it's like not that traditional maybe business trade-off like if we were selling furniture and it's like furniture sales versus the technical debt it takes to acquire you know to accomplish it like the ultimate like journey of the code base you know plays a more of a leading role in our whole operation that just trying to kind of like <laughs> work through this this idea of like why that word doesn't come up as much but i think it's um you know like code quality versus you know like making progress on forum versus like maintaining progress on dev and things like that like uh the decisions of this regard sometimes like flow you know a little bit more naturally in some ways hi there do you know someone who might be looking for assistance with their Ruby on Rails application? Planet Argon would love to meet them. We're offering a $1,000 referral bonus. Send someone our way, and if they sign up for services with Planet Argon, we'll give them a $1,000 discount. And in return, you'll get a check for $1,000 in the mail, just for knowing the right person. Hop on over to planetargon.com referrals for more information and to refer someone our way. That's planetargon.com slash referrals. Thanks. So thinking a little bit more about, you know, dev.2, you know, and forum, could you provide for those in the audience who actually aren't familiar with potentially either of them yet, they might've, I, I would assume that they might've stumbled across a couple of articles, stories, posts, whatever you want to call them on on a couple of you know the different sites that you're helping manage, but um, what is Dev.2? Dev.2 is a social network community space for software developers. Almost a million developers are registered. We reach almost 10 million visitors a month. So like it's gotten big and important. But you know, it, it's like a shared blogging space, so and discussion, you know, like you sign up, you create a post, people can comment, and there's a home feed. And, you know, a lot of, you know, what we do online, you know, like as people who need to share knowledge and need to take part in a community, you know, like need, meaning like literally like software development, like really fundamentally works this way. So, you know, that's what dev is. Dev itself was kind of building off of, uh, of a Twitter account, the Practical Dev, which I started before, you know, the website. So this has, you know, been like a journey of discovery and, and like community building, you know, always trying to kind of reach for the next thing, but also like 
the next thing ends up always being just a little bit tougher and more ambitious, but um, you know, very much worthwhile. So at some point uh, in 2018, we're about a year in since we've turned dev with my other co-founders, Jess Lee and Peter Kim Frank, uh, into a company, not just my, you know, my side project. You know, we're making progress, you know, we're really reaching people, we're focusing on inclusion and, and trying to help people just make posts more easily. And even just the simple job of like, hey, you don't have to maintain your own blog. There's a lot of utility here. But also, you know, we're uh, looking at Medium, which we felt like served a lot of that utility without some of the heart and without some of the focus on what developers really need or what like a specific cohort of people really need in terms of community. So, you know, like a lot of like insight, good ideas along the way. But in the long run, we didn't want dev to be the kind of thing we needed to maximize as a business entirely. So, you know, I sort of think like some of these things take a life of their own, just like the code base. Like you make one decision, it becomes a pattern. It becomes part of the code if you're not really like ready for it. I think a lot of the times companies, um, you know, especially ones who have investment, like we took a seed round, you know, we were ready to, to build a company that was going to employ a lot of people and um, be a really cool, awesome, growing thing. We didn't want the business model to be, hey, let's maximize the attention span of dev and then sell ads or sell contact information to recruiters. You know, a lot of stuff that might like come out as pressure if we if we strictly followed that uh, that model. You know, we still monetize dev. We think it's actually like pretty important that we um, have like a healthy, sustainable business model with every one of our kind of like sub businesses, because um, if they are purely loss leaders, I think it wouldn't necessarily, you know, like serve our uh, economics like in a, in a sustainable way. But yeah, we didn't want that to be the thing we maximized. Um, but what we did see were a lot of patterns and the opportunity to do some really creative stuff with the community and to like really thrive in terms of transparency and trust building and things like that. So without thinking that we had like the perfect code base or anything, we set out to go open source because we felt like, you know, worst case scenario, like devs is still successful and hey, we've done this open source thing and anyone can use it. But we felt like our best case scenario is that people could use it for their independent needs. So like, um, you know, dev struggle in a lot of ways is trying to be all things to all people. And we want people to take like, hey, like let's take the best of this code and and if you need to go deeper in something, like we just uh, helped uh, a website called Wasm Builders launch, and that's a WebAssembly space. Uh, because if you're into WebAssembly, you're just not going to get everything you need out of dev. There's a lot of like, for better or worse, we you know have a hard time like keeping the homepage from being just a lot of JavaScript, a lot of like really popular stuff, which is great for a lot of people, but it's like it's not great for everyone. And and we want that optionality to thrive and. Whether we get it right perfectly this year or next year or the year after, like there's a lot of magic in open source in terms of like, you know, we're going to solve for some of this stuff. So we just felt like whether that succeeded or not, it was worthwhile to do. In the best case scenario, it was the healthiest thing for our community and, you know, the internet at large for like this to be our business model. Like we're going to let people do anything they want with uh, forums if it abides by our code of conduct, we'll support it. If not, it's open source and it's, you know, like we're not going to support it, but it's like, um, not like, you know, it can't exist. Um, 
But then uh, it, uh, we're going to host it. We're going to create a plugin infrastructure. We're going to, you know, really build around this sort of stuff, you know, and we're going to make it really awesome. And it's going to be something where we can work with big companies like Microsoft is one of the companies behind WebAssembly, like the, the Wasm community, Wasm Builders. We have, you know, like a ton of other sort of like commercial partnerships here and there. And we think our best case scenario for these is like, hey, if you want to kind of like build off of our community, if you're a software platform that's like more focused than just development as a whole, here's our code and our expertise. And, uh, and we're going to help you do that. And, um, you know, like I mentioned, we had this idea first in 2018. So it's been a few years, uh, slow and steady, kind of getting to that point, maintaining dev as, you know, core thing we do. And, um, you know, just working through the technical debt, you know, like, but uh, the sort of stuff that was almost just like, <laughs> Now it's not technical debt because now it's just like purely impeding our capacity to make forum work. So personally, I've been really excited about the opportunity to just to be a part of like this code project, which like is forced to be good because it's it's open source. It's like part of building, you know, some more fundamental value than just like feeding dev and being this closed source thing where like, who cares if it's awful, if, you know, if it's held together with band-aids and stuff like it's it's serving some purpose but it's just been like a fun um technical journey which has been you know ambitious and challenging and uh ultimately pretty worthwhile and i've i've you know i've learned a lot that like uh you know i've learned so much about software like since making the choice to go open source that like just was not in my wheelhouse before and um I'm excited to like take on at some point in the future, almost like a more, a less ambitious project because, you know, like it seems so easy at this point, like the, 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 the simple, simple business use case website, just like, boy, that seems like a, a walk in the park comparatively. <laughs> you know, I know that uh, we had spoken with your team a little bit before um, dev to got uh, open sourced and you're going into that transition where you have a behind the scenes, closed private repository project that does what everything you need. And there's probably some things that you don't want to be like, you know, it's like whether or not you're trying to just clean the code up to be in a healthy state before you show, you know, it's kind of like opening your, you know, inviting people into your house when you haven't cleaned it or in a little bit. There's always like, oh, wait, 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 before, before we open the door. It's like, what sort of things do you recall about that, that experience that you were like, all right, we need to think through this a little bit before we just flip the switch and like, change the radio button in GitHub from public to private, like, or private to public, what sort of things did you kind of have, need to get navigate there? Yeah. Well, for one thing, we absolutely had to be certain that like we didn't go live with our entire Git history. Uh, or if we did, it had to be cleaned up because, um, you know, like this was like not even exposed to one additional person for like over a year at least. Like, so uh, there's no way it doesn't, the Git history doesn't include like a lot of stuff. Like for a while, like, uh, you know, this is a Rails app, like the development.rb like email password was like my password, just like my Gmail password just for testing, like which was cleaned up before we brought, you know, a second person in but I, I, I'm not like 100% sure it was cleaned up like in the Git history at that point. But I, in knowing that, I did change my email at least, or like my password. But, uh, you know, stuff like that, like the, the biggest thing was like the unknown unknown there and just to be like really thoughtful and careful because it really was like a, 
project of experimentation uh, in a lot of ways. And we really, really didn't want to mess up anything security wise. And, you know, a big, big believer in, in how we're able to achieve security through open source. But, you know, the minute we go open source and we just, you know, realize we have a JSON endpoint, which is not protected by some sort of authorization, like just being concerned that like, we were at that point still just a handful of people like overseeing like a pretty sprawling Rails code base, which uh, came about piece by piece to serve a business use case, like wasn't designed to be open source right off the bat. Um, and yeah, we contacted, we got in touch with you, we got in touch with some other people. We had a lot of people like in the dev community, we you know just got in touch with. And um, a part of this was just like the unknown unknowns Doing the same exact thing again, I feel like I'd have way, way more of a, a checklist. Like in hindsight, it wasn't even as difficult as we made it out to be. Um, but yeah, I just like really didn't want to mess it up. And and in the meantime, like just didn't want to do anything to take on any unnecessary risk. I mean, we've certainly like had bug bounty program and had, you know, security vulnerabilities come up to us and stuff. But you know, nothing, nothing ever of, of great severity. And, um, you know, the day we went live, someone pointed out one thing and like, we had to deal with it really quickly, but that was like, we were so ready, like that we're so on top of, of that, uh, process, but it was also thankful in that moment that we were really, you know, that was exactly what we were thinking about. And, um, the thing I find in, in software in general with security is, uh, when you even like ask for help in this regard, everyone's going to answer with like their best practices, their checklists, their like a wasp top 10 type of suggestions and stuff. And I kept being like, look, we know all of these things. Like it's more the like the, the chaos of discovery within the code base that like, like we know what we need to do, but the managing the complexity of the task is really the, the tough part. So like a security firm coming in and, you know, telling us these are the best practices of Rails, it's like, we really, really get that. <laughs> like, we really get what a web app should have for best practices. Uh, what we're concerned about is is the complexity that is that we're missing, like uh, the, the part of the code base that, that we did not effectively account for. And again, just like if if going open source was part of the plan right away, it just like wouldn't be a part of the challenge necessarily. And, um, you know, along the way we, you know, took security really seriously, but we were, you know, like building a, an application with like a, a lot of like you consumer facing, like, you know, we've seen a lot of Facebook leaks, you know, like they, uh, we just didn't want any part of any of that stuff. We just didn't want to be an application that like did that stuff wrong. And I don't think like the, people who expose these vulnerabilities like don't know the best practices. It's just that like, you know, complexity is, is, an, is a beast. Thinking about that type of process, you know, you mentioned, you know, your Git history, things that you might've done early on in the project. And so that, I can understand why that would be, you might be hesitant to be like, okay, I'm just going to open up the doors and hopefully nobody catches something that we didn't notice before. Right. Cause it's, sometimes it's the, uh, as you were saying, there's kind of like nuanced things that will happen. You won't know until you, it happens, right? You may and and or you may never know that it happened because not every person that's going to try to attack your platform is going to tell you about it. That's always an interesting challenge there. You know, with, with the regards to open source, 
Now you have like, you know, I think I looked on GitHub earlier and you had, a, you know, maybe six or 700 contributors so far, I think, to the project. So when you get into that sort of scale, how do you go about like deciding if like, are most of the contributions like things like bug improvements or are they feature enhancements or is there kind of like any sense of like the difference there between the type of tasks, things that are actually contributing versus feature request type of thing? Yeah. So for quite some time, we were pretty open to accepting like opportunistic feature enhancements. The challenge has always been like maintaining design and product standards um, and then subsequent code standards. And that's just shifted over time, you know, ebbs and flows as far as like, you know, where we've been. And um, along the way, like recently, we've sort of tightened it up and we're just not entertaining like ad hoc feature pull requests with as things, you know, we're necessarily accepting right now. But we have a few milestones in mind, which we want to allow us to revisit this with more zeal, because in the long run, we really do want to get back to that point, but in a healthier way. Like, we just sort of approached it initially in a sort of fairly unsustainable way, you know, like almost like wisdom of the crowds kind of thing. And uh, it was a lot of fun. It's like a lot of people who have been on the team at some point came in through open source, and then they, they stuck around you know, with our company for a while and then they like, they left and they're still like around, they'll still occasionally make an issue, you know, like it's, it's a pretty interesting, fascinating process. And, and we've, um, you know, been through a journey, you know, right now we're, we're sort of like looking to, you know, tighten the ship and, and kind of like really figure out what the long-term way of doing this is, uh, for a while, like that notion of doing it in a very like, uh, experimental, like, opportunistic kind of way was like exciting and helped us, you know, achieve some milestones and broaden the community and things like that. But, you know, it kind of like left things a little scattered and we've had to kind of rein things in. And uh, the the sentiment among, you know, like leadership in the org and, and I, is that we really, really want to like get back to this in the really good, solid, permanent sort of way. And in my, in my mind, like, Giving the community direction, product management, you know, design guidelines, you know, is a huge part of this and how that's going to like ultimately shape up is going to be an interesting challenge. But, you know, like we're not building like a CLI. There's no like correct interface across the board. There are parts that there are a lot of API opportunities. There's a lot of underlying code. You know, there's ample opportunity for refactoring. I would love if people could just consistently refactor our code without, you know, like with impunity. Like I think we have a good test suite. I think there's opportunities consistently there, but getting it just right is easier said than done. And and so much of it's like the journey that the company is on to kind of like be able to prioritize getting certain things just right. And, uh, you know, if anything, like there's a little bit too much lingering process debt for us to like be doing our ideal version of what doing this all with the community is looking like. So it's just kind of like, we've had to sort of take a few things more internally than than when we were for a while where it was really sprawling. But the cool thing is like, this code is never gonna be closed source. This is open source forever. It's a copy left license, you know, like the code is open source, whether we're doing the coding or getting or doing it with the community member, it's all out in the open for scrutiny, for like accepting issues, even just like the fact that we get to do it on GitHub, the, you know, the fact that we can describe the complexity, you know, our like account managers for people getting up and running with forum, like they'll often like 
dip into like the dev channel, like our internal dev channel and say, and like ask for the line of code to kind of show people, like prove that this is how the, the app works. And, you know, in some way, like it just kind of like, or, or if we're able to respond to like, to some bug or, or a feature request, like sometimes we'll get a, f- a feature request come in uh, from someone who, who's running forum, like uh, uh, with us, like a company running forum. It's like, it's a magical moment where it's like, wow, that's actually a thousand times easier than anyone is look is realizing. And we get to fix it like immediately, like, or create that feature immediately because it's actually just like a couple lines of code, you know, you know, it, it can be that way sometimes. And when we're able to turn that around and then show people like, hey, this, hey, as soon as this gets two, two thumbs up in the PR review process, this is going to be, you know, part of the code base. And, uh, and that type of transparency is really enjoyable and exciting. And um, our, our best version of being this open source company, I think, is like it's, it's ebbs and flows. But we yeah, do have almost 700 people who've contributed. It's pretty, pretty incredible because it is not like a low barrier thing to like contribute to a real thing that, you know, 10 million people visit our one instance of this software. Like, you know, we have uh, quite a few people starting to use it like for different purposes themselves now. And, and um, it's, it's pretty exciting that we get to do any of it like directly with the community. And uh, I hope we're able to sort of um, tighten up our processes and, and lean into that even more in the long run. We'll be back with our interview with Ben in just a moment. Hi, it's me, Robbie. I just wanted to take a quick moment to say thank you for making time to listen to the Maintainable Software Podcast. If you're finding these conversations valuable, please consider sharing a link amongst your peers and or writing a review on Apple Podcasts to help spread the word. Also, do you know someone that I should be interviewing on Maintainable? Shoot me an email to Robbie with a Y at maintainable.fm. And now, let's get back to our interview with Ben Halpern. You mentioned mapping out kind of like your vision and guidelines with and sharing that with the community. What has been an effective way of doing that? Or, or, or is that something you're still trying to figure you're evolving and experimenting with? Like, how do you disseminate that so you feel like enough of the people that are potentially contributing that may not be, you know, employed by by forum are on the same page about that? I, I say that as someone that also has an open source project. And sometimes I have to remind myself, like not everybody understands my mission or goal with this particular project. They have their own needs and they're just trying to contribute. And they're like, well, that, so sometimes people might ask for a feature or a change of something or propose something in a PR. And I'm like, well, that's kind of break, deviates from my vision or direction of the project, but I didn't know it until you brought it up. You know, it's not like I had, or I couldn't direct you to somewhere, some webpage somewhere that says, here's my mission for OMYZ shell, you know? Yeah, yeah. I mean. Part of like this challenge is that, you know, it's inherently pretty challenging. And the the tough part about the whole process has been like uh, this project has been like the, you know, the most ambitious thing I've been a part of. So like I'm not getting to like uh, swoop in with like the the wisdom of, of everything I've accomplished to this point, you know, like so like the way we did it a year ago is so much like worse than how we do it today. But today we're facing t- tougher challenges than a year ago. So constantly like uh somewhat underqualified for the whole thing and uh i think that's that's the tough part you know like these days describing you know where things need to go and doing so you know in alignment with my co-founders in 
within the scope of my role, like very much, you know, sure. I wrote a lot of the code early on, but like the project has gone in a very different direction in terms of, uh, like we are very much not a, like a BDFL type of project. I am actually, you know, most involved these days and just like help in running, helping run dev and code newbie, like the, the, the communities. Uh, not that I don't like, you know, have tons of technical opinions and stuff, but really trying not to make, you know, me the chokehold on anything. We actually have a, a, a podcast episode with our head of product and our head of engineering. I mentioned Allison, uh, Jenny Oaken is our head of product. And, you know, she's really the one to organize and describe the product vision. And um, as far as like being a really effective, like super duper senior and effective product manager. She's a head of product, you know, coming up through, through the product lens and um, the organizational capacity, I think, you know, we've achieved of late is kind of like providing better direction than we've had before. But, uh, you know, the, the challenge is that like, yeah, like we had a lot of capacity to really just get things done when it was just kind of me being able to say like, that's an interesting issue. It actually like coincidentally, like I've really wanted to do that and it's never been worth like describing because I didn't know who's going to come along and do it. And now you're here, like, great, let's like get going on this thing. And um, honestly, like the the way we have it right now, I, I really foresee it being a matter of like, you know, achieving organizational excellence and getting this stuff right, getting that public facing roadmap, you know, better like clarification on what's stable and what's to be done, you know, like what's the way it is because it's, that's, that's right. Like it's, it's in a good place. Everything can stably be built on top of this. And then, you know, what is, you know, fundamentally still like not necessarily part of the future. Um, In terms of like my own learnings and how to do this, like just right. It's almost like, um, you know, less relevant than just like the journey of accomplishing this as an organization in the way that's just like ultimately going to result in the, uh, in the, in the future that, you know, our community really needs. That's great. Was dev open source before it became form or was that kind of like around the same time? Yeah. So dev, yeah, dev was open source before it became forum. At that point, we still like wanted to extract it, but we weren't there yet. Even once we got kind of there, People, a few people started using it before it even had the name for them because code is code. The name's just the name. Every single key milestone along the way has been, you know, like the minimum viable milestone in some, you know, some ways for us. And uh, it's worked though. We didn't wait years to, to, you know, do make form the way it is. And it's still kind of like, it's still in its nascence, but we also have done things gradually because dev itself is so important to what we do and what the community needs. We have a huge priority right now to just like re-emphasize the quality of dev where like sometimes we let like too many um, clickbait articles rise to the top and things like that. And like so much of that is ultimately like, hey, the code kind of works. And now our focus needs to be like more on just like building community the best possibly way we can. And then the code's kind of on a trajectory to keep getting better and better and better forever. Uh, what we can't do is like, you know, allow any part of just our community building to decay and like for us not to work well with the code ourselves, you know? Yeah. Like it's been sort of this journey. So like, even as I say right now, like I I know like our account 
team is currently working with like a Fortune 100 company that we're really excited about who's looking to get up and running with Forum. But at the same time, our biggest focus is actually like as an organization kind of shifting back to just like shoring up like some of just like the fundamentals of how we operate our own instances. And uh, it's an interesting give and take there. So, um, but you were going to ask a follow-up? Yeah, it was also a little, was it, is it a safe assumption that at some point when you were, whether when you decided to open source it or rename it or come up with a name for the the product of its in and of itself and have dev be its own instance of that, was there a conversation at all about like, should we rewrite it? And then why did you, if there, and if there was, like, how did you decide, no, that's not a good idea? Yeah, there was like never even the question of should we rewrite it? So like part of this is because, you know, I think like the uh, consistency of problem solving on an ongoing basis is what's really important here. Like getting stuff like right and working on dev and having it work in the like ecosystem of dev, you know, cause it's not like a, it's not like the single user utility thing. Like the notion of, of correctness and functionality is, is one of pure chaos because it's, like it's this ecosystem and we're if anything we're far enough along now that the question of like rewriting it almost could make more more sense um and but we've rewritten big big chunks of it along the way obviously and uh i also think like uh if we rewrote it for technical reasons it might be to uh rewrite it in a less memory and resource intensive environment because ultimately in the long run we really badly want it to just run more cheaply than like you know a big bulky rails app can can be at times um we're accomplishing some of those goals right now through like a lot of hardcore systems work so like forum cloud like is is pretty well optimized and things like that but um it's a nice like idea to have this be you know a rails app but then ultimately i think um if we rewrite parts of it over time as things become more stable, uh, hypothetically, I think it, it'd be really cool for it to be, for s- much of the code to be rewritten and the core functionality to be so much more about the data layer. Like, you know, Postgres is, I think, like the the one like true enabling technology for this all of this. And like, unless somebody comes by with like with a, a new better database, like that seems like the thing we're gonna want to ride with forever. You know, my like. Uh, my most exciting version of the future of the code base is that like, hey, maybe like every bit of the the code ultimately is is rewritten in like uh, in a, in a different environment such that the whole thing is, you know, could be packaged up in like a, you know, an executable, you know, just like some other situation. You know, Rails is kind of funny, but we're also like uh, most likely we're just going to try to be a clean, tight, concise like Rails application forever and. Um, it's unlikely that we'll ever have enough breathing room to like, to want to, you know, take on a, the, a true like all-in rewrite. Makes sense. Do you, is that form hiring at the moment? Yeah, jobs.form.com. I believe we're currently hiring for a principal engineer role, and uh, you know, f- folks who are listening should keep up with uh, you know what we're up to. Like, we're not. We're not hiring at a frenetic pace right now, but uh, you know, like that could change. You know, like one of these big companies latches on with Forum. You know, it gives us like a lot of uh, reason to like speed up some of our development uh, opportunities and stuff. But um, yeah, I think we're hiring for like at least 
you know, one position right now. And uh, we're trying to, to build a, a really cool technically driven company. So like if you apply now and you don't get it, like I, I really think like we're going to keep having job openings and really have a good future ahead of us for, as, a, as a software company. That's great. I'll definitely include links to the, to your uh, job site in the show notes for everybody. A couple of quick last questions for you, Ben. Uh, is there a non-software book that you find yourself recommending to peers on a regular basis? One book I find myself recommending surprisingly often is a book called uh, Creative Quest. It's written by Questlove, the you know artist, musician, and... I find the topic of creativity to be one that is, you know, like often like written in a way that like sucks the creativity out of the whole idea. And um, this book, uh, I think like doesn't do it. I think it's like written in a in a way that like lives up to the material. You know, Questlove is like a deeply creative person, but is like very self-aware throughout the book of like feeling like, you know, his definition of creativity is his, his own and, and stuff. I read the book. I also listened to the audiobook because I just felt like uh, it was narrated by him. And I felt like listening to that too. And I think it's a really fun, uh, a fun listen as well, you know, where he like interjects and like goes off script a couple times in a way that doesn't interrupt the book, you know, in, in, in a bad way. So it's not like I just recommended a fiction book. Like I, think this book is borderline you know solid professional development type material but also like you know really fun and and not gonna feel like you know a a a book about productivity habits and stuff like that no i appreciate that i will i hadn't heard heard of that one before so i'm gonna check that out myself and so where can listeners best follow your ruminations and thoughts about software development online yeah so dev.to slash ben is you know where i'll typically publish for the most part I'm Ben D. Halpern on Twitter. And, um, you know, otherwise, like, uh, I try to take the uh, the Ben username across the, the forum uh, ecosystem. So, you know, we're not trying to to be the one place to, to achieve these things, you know, on just dev. So um, I think you're going to find me around in different places. But then also just like... Uh, as I've mentioned, like my role in our company, you know, has shifted. Like I'm, I'm still around, but we're not trying to be like a BDFL kind of company or project or anything like that. So, I'm looking forward to to like uh, finding some time to kind of get back to writing about any topic of software that's like not entrenched in like our code base or this journey in particular and stuff. Like as entrenched as I still am in the journey, I, I think like some of my writing, I, I anticipate uh, exploring like you know other you know, code topics. That sounds great. Well, it's been such a delight having you join us on Maintainable, Ben. Thanks so much for talking shop. Yeah, thanks for having me.